Welcome to Living a Maintenance Life. I'm the host and creator, Carlos Damien, a.k.a. Los AFFA. This podcast is about our Shogun Warriors. It's about their stories, their perspectives, and insight into their lives. My hopes for this podcast is to have conversations with different maintenance pros from across our group in order to learn each other better. Over my career, I've served as a maintenance pro, MTI, and first sergeant. I've met amazing people from across the globe, but right here and now, I get the privilege to serve with 2,400 maintenance professionals. Here are some of our conversations. Hey, Sergeant Morgan, welcome to the uh, Living a Maintenance Life podcast. Happy to have you on. You come highly recommended as a uh, as somebody to interview. I reached out to your squadron leadership and I was like, hey, who, who do we interview? And literally, you were the first name that popped up. Man, and, thank you for having me, Chief. Yeah, this is awesome. This is a great opportunity again to, to sit and talk. Um, so let's start this thing off with uh, your name, your rank, and your position. I'm Technical Sergeant Daniel Morgan. I um, work at the 33rd HMU as Flying Crew Chief and Lead Tech. Uh, what's your hometown? Uh, I'm from Clearwater, Florida. It's a little peninsula on the peninsula of Florida, right near Tampa. It's kind of just a little bit west of it. It's real nice out there. Oh, man, you're not a Bucks fan, are you? Yeah. Oh, it's cool. <laughs> it, it was rough for a couple years, but, you know, Tom we Brady stole Brady. Yeah. <laughs> Did you believe that that was going to happen? No, I didn't see it coming. It yeah. was... I don't think anybody saw yeah, it. Yeah, it was out of nowhere, but, hey, it worked yeah. out. Maybe Bill Belichick, who knows? Hey, next Nobody time. <laughs> So is your hometown influenced you in any way and kind of the person that you are or who you are? Uh, Yeah, it's uh, more of a beach community out there, but also there's, and I hope we're not getting too dark right off the bat, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of drugs that come through that area, especially with the, the way the pain clinics and everything work out there. And so kind of living there and the friends I had and the people I was associating myself with were definitely subpar and I definitely you know they say you are who you surround yourself with so is there any uh uh a maintainer that you look up to or somebody like hey that's the uh this is the most influential maintainer I've ever met well definitely had a lot of really good supervisors coming up but uh I think the one that immediately sticks out in my head is Massar really when I was working the phase shop um he was probably their third, fourth flight chief while I was in there, and it was just night and day once he showed up. The level of professionalism while still having kind of a relaxed attitude and keeping people so the ideas were flowing, innovation was happening, and it was kind of he put a lot of the uh, he put a lot of the agency back in the the airmen and NCOs to try to be able to kind of do all the things that we wanted to do. And even if he'd he'd even tell you, hey, I don't think this is a good idea, but Obviously, all you guys want to do it, and we can run this for one full phase, which is about two months, and we'll see how it worked. And a lot of times, he'd be like, hey, look at that. I was wrong. Other times, he'd say, you know, I don't want to tell you. I told you so, but maybe we start doing this back the other way. Uh, that and just he he was really good about keeping uh, giving us a peek behind the curtain when it comes to – I was just senior airman when I was in there, and he – really was good about just kind of saying, here, look, here's how the things actually work. Like, I get it. Sometimes we just tell you to do the things just to do the things. Um, but he was really good about kind of being like, hey, look, nobody ever told me this like this when I was growing up or when I was a younger airman, but I really wish I knew that this is how things work. And so he really kind of got me to the point where I was bought into the Air Force, I think. So what do you think makes a good maintainer? 
I think mainly that what makes a good maintainer is from the first day showing up is mainly having a good attitude. Nobody woke up their first day and knew how to fix helicopters, even though sometimes you forget that when you get a new guy and you're like, how can't you even turn power on the aircraft? And you're like, oh, yeah, this isn't something we learned how to do before we're in the military. Um, but just having a good attitude, being able to go out there um, and really trying to learn. A lot of times you don't, you don't notice it until really you get to kind of the NCO level that uh, it training every single person, especially here in Kadena where you have that rolling D-Rose all the time and you're constantly getting new people, constantly getting new people. It's like you get people for two years. At one year, they're five level and they're finally getting to the point where they're kind of working on their own and they're out the door and you get a whole new shipment of people. Absolutely. So as long as they, if they show up and they got a good attitude and then especially when you deploy and you're really trying, like the, uh, the tempo increases, uh, you really don't want a lot of people out there just being like, man, this sucks. Like, God, I don't want to be here. Oh, my God, I can't believe i got to be in Afghanistan for four months. And you're like, oh, man, we're two weeks in. Like, <laughs> it's going to be a long. Yeah, it's going to be a long <laughs> trip. I'd, I'd much rather have a guy that, that learns a little slower but is way easier to be around than somebody that's just uh, hot the whole time, good at their job, but also difficult to be around is, is way worse in my opinion. What do you value most out of your subordinates? like somebody you write an EPR on, uh, what do you value most out of a peer? And what do you value most out of a, a, a leader or a supervisor? I think we touched a bit on what I value as a, as a subordinate. But uh, to expand upon it, I would say somebody that's, that's willing to listen, somebody that's not coming in with too many uh, bad habits when it comes to learning things, or somebody that just wants to do things their own way all the time. Um, I understand it's it's a newer generation. I say that, but I'm still part of you know I'm a millennial also, <laughs> so I can't say it too much. But it's uh, you know people always want to know the why all the time, and I get that, and we try to provide that. But sometimes people get really mad when you can't provide the why or you don't have the time to provide the why at the time. Um, and I think for 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 subordinates, they need to understand that kind of hey, sometimes I'm going to get told to do something because it's a lawful order and I just got to do it and I got to understand that they they are trying to have my back and and I hope I portray that to them as well that I would and so I try to foster that with them and I would hope to see that reflected back up at me that kind of respect uh as a peer I would say someone NCO um be willing to take on new things be willing to reach out do things that make you uncomfortable um most of the times my best learning opportunities have been when I did things like I went to a tool room uh, out here for a couple years for uh, mainly D-Rose purposes. I know anybody back in the States is going to hear that and know immediately they're going to think I'm kind of crap. But out here, the D-Rose is really kind of determined where you end up. And I really didn't want to go because I also had that stigma. And then uh, it really pushed me out of my comfort zone. And I had a couple of really good supervisors while I was in there um, juggling 16 programs and trying to run an entire tool room is kind of rough. But definitely learn a lot and you get to see especially maintenance wise a lot of people think that the air force lives and dies on the flight line but there is a whole other side of the air force that i think a lot of people don't get or you just want to call them a nonner and move on yeah yeah <laughs> because i mean it's funner to do it that way <laughs> but uh i think getting to getting to see it from different perspectives and kind of how things work and just being able to slow down and take on larger projects like if i if you ever told somebody a maintenance hey this is probably gonna take about a month you, no, it's not going to take a month. It's going to take a couple of days. And how many 12s do you need to work to get it there? But uh, I think being able to 
reach out and uh, try to put yourself out of your comfort zone and try to learn new things. I would hope that my peers would be willing to do that, and it's it's hard to do. Nobody wants to do it because obviously it's out of your comfort zone. But being willing to do that and uh, tackle bigger projects, I think, is something that I'd like to see out of my peers and that I do see out of a lot of my peers. Um, and then as far as my leadership goes, uh, it's hard to say. Not stepping on any toes. A lot of times I think things from the top move slowly and they come unorganized. Not all the time, but a lot of times when you have large, complex orders that need to get done and things move from hand to hand and you're playing the great game of telephone that is the rank structure, by the time it gets to you, maybe it doesn't sound the way it was supposed to intended from the person at the top. And so to be able to clearly transition those messages and to keep a good kind of organizational flow to everything is something uh, I really respect from leaders. So from Clearwater, Florida, to your experience as a, uh, as a flying crew chief, all that kind of coupling in, what makes you you? Uh, I'd say from the beginning, um, uh, we're, I, was, I started working when I was probably 12 years old with my dad doing plumbing and then doing that during high school. Got out of high school, was getting my A&P, and was working jobs at the same time trying to get that. And then coming into the Air Force, um, having to do things that are different pretty often, learning how to get my, getting my A&P, learning how to fix aircrafts and jumping to air conditioner repair during the day, um, kind of developing critical thinking skills, I think is something that I really pride myself on. Being able to take something that seems uh, kind of foreign and getting in there and dissecting it and being able to tackle it one step at a time without getting yourself overwhelmed is something I think really makes me me. In regards to the, to maintenance, this is going to be a kind of a rapid fire. What's the first thing that comes to mind uh, of what you like about maintenance, what you dislike about maintenance, and what you would change? And again, you don't have to necessarily come up with a fix of the change. You just have to say, hey, I would just really like to fix this. Uh, okay, so I'd say for things that I really like about maintenance, especially one thing specifically is the camaraderie, uh, especially for the 33rd, we kind of have a unique sort of uh, mission for just rescue in general. Um, it's a really close-knit community. I think a lot of people don't even think the Air Force has helicopters because we only have five bases we can go to. So no matter where you go, you go from one place or another, uh, people already know your name by the time you show up because everybody knows everybody in this community. And I'd at first, it was kind of overwhelming. You're like, oh, God, I got to set a good example. But then I think as time goes on, you TDY with people and you deploy with people and then being able to really get to know like a lot of really cool individuals and people that have, for better or for worse, really changed me. It's, it's been a hell of an experience. I've, I've loved it. Um, something that I dislike about the Air Force or maintenance, sometimes things get disorganized. Sometimes things don't like I said I am millennial and sometimes not knowing the why is is rough and I don't like it either you bounce my, on both sides yeah of that I really do too. yeah it's it's on both yeah I'm on both sides of that fence which is it's a rough place to be um not knowing the why and I think just sometimes having to just do it and then uh even especially uh when things are trying to happen rapid fire like they're generally doing in maintenance um the pre-planning of things, eventually you have to say, okay, we've only, we can only pre-plan this so much before we're spending an hour to say 15 minutes. And so sometimes you're not at the, that 
behind the door conversation and you're just the person that gets told to do something or hey here's the direction we're going to go in and you don't generally agree with it um and then having to implement that in a way where you are at least showing that you have the buy-in to your subordinates because if you just come out it sucks but we got to do this then they're immediately going to have the exact same attitude um it's something that's uh it's tough because it kind of you kind of feel fake about it because you're not there and you're not the one making the decisions or even helping making the decision or you feel like your voice isn't heard but just sometimes in maintenance that's the way it is you got to you got to just take it and roll with it what we would change about the air force um something i've always really wanted to see and i know i've heard it come up every once in a while but very faintly would be warrant officers i think warrant officers would really be greatly beneficial especially in kind of the maintenance career field where you have sort of this set step ladder of what you're going to be doing. You go from, you know, three level, five level, staff sergeant, seven level, and then tech sergeant where you're kind of transitioning and then mass sergeant, you're just in an office. But you're the smartest dude that's supposed to be out there on the flight line, but you're not allowed to be on the flight line. So having somebody that is out there, that's kind of your go-to guy, that's not going to be getting moved around. So you re-enlisted before. What is what kept you coming back? What what, what kept you uh, in the Air Force? Uh, well, I was once told um, that you enlist twice. You enlist the first time when you sign that piece of paper, and then you enlist the second time when you actually find yourself having the buy-in in the Air Force. And I'd say that I was. It was during phase, which Mass Arm really, as we talked about, had a lot to do with this, and then a lot of other supervisors that I've had after that. Um, and then getting to deploy, getting to see our mission, um, some of the stuff is is kind of hard to relive. But knowing that, I think especially in rescue, counting our successes and the amount of lives saved versus the amount of lives taken is like pretty unique compared to a lot of other missions. And I've really found myself having a lot of buy into that. Uh, the more I've been in it, the more I've gotten to see, and the more I've gotten to meet the people that are in this community that because we are so small, I know I'm going to run into a lot of them again, which is like really exciting for me being like, oh man, if, if I get to go to this place, I get to hang out with that dude again. If I go to this place, I get to hang out with her again. And uh, just knowing kind of what's in front of me a little better now, and then having that buy-in uh, to the mission has was the main factors in me re-enlisting. Do you remember what year like you really bought in? It had to have been... 2015, 2016, when I really started to see that buy-in, then 2018, my first, I don't want to say real deployment, but first deployment out to a desert and really getting to see everything was kind of the solidifying factor in that. Yeah, that's what it, you gave me goosebumps when you said that, because I've heard that, I've been in the Air Force for over 20 years, and to hear that, uh, I heard a chief say that uh, in one of the panels that we were doing. He was like, hey, I'm Chief uh, so-and-so. I joined the Air Force, uh, or I enlisted in the Air Force in this year, but I joined in this year. And I'm literally, uh, can't see me on the uh, on the screen here, but I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> when I say that because I think that that's, that, that's uh, I, I mean, that's earth-shaking to me because a lot of people do, a lot of, you know, some people don't find their why until, what, you know, far into their career. Um, and some find it very early, so yeah, I think you're well, you're pretty fortunate to have it, uh, to have found it, you know, somewhere somewhat uh, early in your career. So support networks are huge uh, in what we do as maintenance professionals. Uh, how's your family supported you through this journey? 
Uh, my family was really excited to move out here. Uh, we were at Nellis before this, uh, where I met my wife and uh, had my daughters. And then we moved out here, and everybody was really excited to do it. And we were all having a really good time, and they were everything was very supportive. I know the COVID stuff kind of hit, and it kind of now sort of everybody is getting a little stir crazy. But um, and I know that they are getting stir crazy, and I know that they are also trying to be able to communicate that with it with me without making it feel like they're blaming me for that type of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, my wife and kids are both they're are, are all really strong, and I really respect them for everything and everything that they they go through with the TDYs and the deployments and being gone and and I know it's hard on the kids and um, I'd say that my wife has never made me feel pressured in any way that it, it was that anything has kind of been like oh this is all your fault type of thing for you know this is you decided you wanted to go on that deployment you wanted to do that and it's like well. I mean, we knew that before we got married as well, but at the same time, she's never, she's never, I think it was all very clear and she's been very supportive of it. My kids as well, really supportive. Uh, the family back home, it's a little hard to get a hold of them because we're what, 13 hours apart. So, you know, catch them once a week on Saturday night or possibly super early in the morning when it's the middle of their day, but uh, they love it. They love hearing about Japan and all the cool stuff we get to do out here. And I think it's them living a little vicariously through me. They're still back in Florida and we're kind of out here doing the big adventure kind of thing. It's, it's real fun. Yeah. Especially when they, you take the pictures mm -hmm. and you send them back and they're like, Oh, it's so beautiful. I want to come out and visit you. That's like, oh, yeah. Come out. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> come on bring it. <laughs> Let's go. So you, you spoke about Clearwater again. Um, you're coming out of Clearwater and you're starting all over brand new. You know, I'm sure you tell your troops, uh, your airmen something, uh, in particular as you and process them, but what would you tell a younger you coming straight to the unit, young maintainer? Uh, for me, when I first came in, very different. Uh, Sergeant Danny at that point. I would have to say probably keep an open mind. I think at the beginning I was a little more resistive to, to getting out of my comfort zone, and I really just wanted to just – Hey, just keep me on the line. You know, you don't have to move me anywhere. I'm getting comfortable with this. I'm loving it. Oh, I got a good. I got to do what? I guess. I wasn't always. I wasn't always the uh, the person that I've explained as my uh, perfect subordinate up until this point. And I wish I would have had somebody sit me down and kind of explain to me that, hey, man, like these things are going to make you better in the long run. Like you're going to learn this. Here's here's how it's going to help you develop, and soon you're going to have to uh, impart these same kinds of things onto troops below you. Uh, especially at that time when you don't even know you're going to stay in or not. Um, but yeah, I'd say keep an open mind and try to have a good time. Try to meet new people. Try to make the best. Try to make the best of it. Uh, even if you plan on just doing four or six and getting out, like you're here, you already signed up for four. You got moved out to beautiful Okinawa. Like, just go for it, man. Yeah. So it seems like you know you have a pretty good breadth of experience in your, in your career and that's the that's the that's kind of the beauty I think that we get as maintainers is we get to go out and see stuff there's times we get to go TDY we get to go deploy we get to go to some cool bases along the way we get to experience different cultures what's your favorite maintenance story uh we pick somebody up and I think I think the reason I'm going to say this is a good story is because it took the deployment it was it was our first save while we were there 
And it, it really took the deployment from, hey, everybody, we're just here. Just do the pre-flights, do the H3s, get the birds ready, you know, kind of doing the same thing every day. And uh, turned it into a spot where everybody was kind of like, like, no shit, we're, this is real life, what we're doing out here. Um, we were we were all hanging out. It was about 3 a.m., and things were pretty quiet. And then we heard over the radio, uh, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. So we sprinted out to the birds, uh, lit the APUs. Uh, crew came running out. PJs came running out. They were up in the air. They came back, and uh, it was the first time kind of I saw a lot of those dudes, especially ops guys, um, not happy with themselves and uh when we look through the cabin it's it's general i think most maintainers would say that there's a a level of hydro and oils that kind of accumulate um and they landed and we started to clean and they looked at us like we were crazy and then somebody picked up a chunk of another person and we finally realized what had happened in that helicopter and it was uh like I said, not to say favorite story in maintenance. I know we're getting a little dark. Um, it was, yeah, it was eye-opening. It was the first. It was the first save that I had had that wasn't home station with somebody that was, uh, you know, got lost on the mountains at Nellis or got into a hiking accident or something. It was like, ah, they broke their leg. Hey, they're better. Cool. This was like a. He made it to the hospital. And then, and then succumbed to his wounds. And that was uh, it. Kind of, kind of rocked all of us, and it, it it definitely changed the way the rest of that deployment with. And uh, I'll remember every single one of those dudes for the rest of my life that went there with me. And I'm glad I got I got a chance to sit across from you and just talk, talk, have these stories, have these conversations, so we can um, share these experiences with others. That like, hey, maintenance isn't all bad. You know, like I, I sometimes I, I feel like we get a bum rap uh, on a lot of things and uh, things like though that may be like you said, it may not be the uh, a, uh, a happy ending story. It's something that affected you that you got to see as a maintenance professional. And thank you for sharing that. My final question before I let you get out of here is uh, who would who would you recommend that I interview next? Ooh, I think. I would really like to hear how a conversation between you and Technical Sergeant David Vasquez would go, the UDM at the 33rd, because I loved, he was, he was my, uh, he was one of my supervisors when I was in CTK, and him and I had talked about a lot of things, maintenance and otherwise, and uh, he really has, he's got a lot of good base involvement, he's really involved in LEAP and uh, a lot of other really good programs, and yeah, I, I would love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. You listen to that podcast? Oh, I'd, I'd listen to that podcast. Yes, okay, sir. Awesome. Teammates, again, thank you for listening. If you or anybody you know wants to be a part of the show, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Los AF Jefe, be happy to have you on the show. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored by the Department of Defense or the United States Air Force. Though we may use name, ranks, and duty titles, This podcast is strictly opinion-based by the member and myself. Cleared off headsets, Los AF Jefe out.
Sister Cow. Sister Cow. Oh. Oh. Oh.